Isaiah 40 is where we are today, and we're talking about the matter of expectations. One of the things that I always enjoy about the end of the year are particular news segments or articles that capture the best of the previous year. So maybe your inbox like mine got flooded with uh, the best books of 2020. Like all my friends are sending me like all the books they read and I appreciate the list, although I feel a little guilty. Like how did you read that many books? It's crazy. Or, or maybe you'll see some news programs that will have the best stories of 2020 or the best songs of 2020 or the best sports moments of 2020, best business deals of the year, or maybe the best cakes on the British baking show in 2020. Uh, maybe not that one, but <laughs> what I find is that these year in reviews are rather fascinating because I'm inclined to forget what happened in the previous year. So usually I, li I like to look back and I enjoy reflecting on the past year. But if I'm honest, I don't quite feel that same way this year. In fact, I was recently scrolling through my phone looking for a picture and I stumbled across a photo from February and March of 2020 and it was a picture of the Think Conference. Remember that? Place was packed, people were shoulder to shoulder, no masks, and when I saw the picture, I gasped. It felt like it was from another century. Remember those days? And I found my heart feeling a little homesick, feeling like, man, I miss those days. And then immediately another emotion came. As I began to ask myself, I wonder what 2021 is going to be like. Have you asked yourself that question in the last number of days? When I was asking the question, I wasn't asking from a sense of curiosity, I was asking from a sense of anxiety. I don't know about you, but I think 2020 for me, I'm sure in some cases for you as well, has felt a little bit like it's been a year full of all sorts of things that have blindsided me. One after another, after another. And as we look at 2021, I find my heart's kind of in a cautious position, maybe even a jaded position, because there's a level of uncertainty, and that isn't just true, it's also taxing and it's painful. So the question that we're gonna wrestle with today is, how should Christians think about uncertain times? How should we think about moments when we need truths that should serve as anchor points for our journey ahead. And thankfully, the Bible addresses those sorts of questions and those sorts of moments. Isaiah 40 is one of those signature texts in the Bible. And today from Isaiah 40, I wanna show you some truths that relate to how do we think when life seems uncertain. So I wanna show you three biblical expectations from Isaiah 40 today that I hope will be helpful and encouraging to you. Encouragement number one will be that God will care for his people. Number two, that God will always be in control. And number three, that God will empower our endurance. So I don't know which of these three, or maybe all three of these you need to think about what could we expect from the Lord 
we think about 2020. So first and foremost here, that number one, God will care for his people. Verse one, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. It's interesting that this section which really is the beginning of a longer section from chapter 40 to chapter 55, is designed to bring comfort to God's people when there is a significant level of uncertainty that they're facing. In the historical context, this text was written to help people in the future who would be wrestling with their exile or a Babylonian captivity. And the idea is that when thoughts run through our minds like God has forgotten me or there's no kindness in this situation that I'm dealing with or I'm facing more than what I can bear, Isaiah 40 brings a level of comfort and a level of hope. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. The idea is that God is appealing to his people and reminding them that he cares for them, reminding them that he's their God. There's this posture that God's people need to embrace when they're facing difficulty. The text says that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The idea here is that there is a, a, a movement of God towards his people to reach them, to rescue them, to pardon them. When it, when it says that she has received from the Lord double for, for all her sins, it doesn't mean that she has received twice the punishment that she deserved, but rather it's like a piece of paper that's folded in two and there are things about God's pardoning effect and what he's doing that they don't see. So there's something in their realm, but there's something in another realm as well. Even though God's people have rebelled against him, even though they have at times rejected him, here he is providing the means of their pardon. Here is God leaning into his desire to care for them and to be kind to them. I trust that as you think about 2020, you will know that there's been moments when your heart has been in the wrong place as a result, as a as, a, as it relates to circumstances or difficulties, and maybe you even found yourself wondering, does God really care for me? This text would push and go the other direction and remind you that yes, he does. In fact, his entire posture towards his people is one of kindness and gentleness. I'm reading a great book right now called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and here's what he says about Jesus and his posture towards sinners. I love this. Jesus is not trigger happy. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> He's not harsh, not reactionary, not easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. His heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He cannot ungentle himself toward his own any more than you or I can change our eye color. So what the Bible wants us to know is that while life is hard and difficulties may come, we ought never to doubt God's kind care for us. There's three voices in the text. 
They're almost used like a chorus. It's almost like Isaiah says to strum up the band and remind people of these truths. The first voice is in verses three through five. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, even The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says, cry that God is going to come to his people in their wilderness for the purpose of redemption. So he's saying that the spiritual landscape is gonna change dramatically. A highway in the desert, valleys are gonna be lifted up, mountains are gonna be brought low, uneven ground is gonna be leveled, rough places are going to be smooth. All of this is so that the glory of the Lord shall be known. For those of you who know the New Testament, this should sound familiar because this is the reference point that Matthew points to in Matthew 3 for the ministry of John the Baptist, that Jesus in his coming was fulfilling this very prophecy as John the Baptist announced the coming Messiah. The second voice is found in verses six to eight. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And here's what the cry is. All flesh is grass and its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The idea is that God's word can be trusted Trusted in the sense that God cares for his people. He cares for them. In fact, the book of 1 Peter uses that very text in reference to how suffering and hurting people should think. Grab your Bible. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. You need to see this in your copy of God's word. 1 Peter is written to a group of people that are experiencing suffering, experiencing hardship, and Peter uses this text as an anchor point to remind suffering people of both what is true and then how they ought to act. So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 24, you'll see that it says, you have been born, let's start in verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is as like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So that's true. God cares for you. He's given you this word. He's If you're a Christian, he's caused you to be born again, but then what is the implication of it? Well, to see the implication of it, you need to go to verse 22 and then also to chapter two. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. In other words, how you treat one another flows out of this sure assurance that God cares for you and that his word is true. Further, it's repeated in chapter two and verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. See, what what Peter is saying and what Isaiah is trying to put together for us is this. When God's people know that God cares for them, they act differently. 
They treat one another differently because they know not only how they've been cared for by God, but they also know that their future is under the umbrella of a God who cares for them and therefore they don't have to scramble to try and protect themselves. They don't have to be so defensive about difficulties that are coming their way. In fact, I would argue that people who don't understand the care of God can be very careless in how they treat others. Part of the reason there's societal panic is because of the fact that people think that their whole future rests on their ability to figure everything out. What a miserable place to be. And yet, have you not battled that thought or living in that space? The fact of the matter is that doubt can breed discouragement and doubt can even breed divisiveness, that faithlessness can create faint-heartedness. And so Peter calls on believers who are suffering to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and evil, all because the care of God through the word of God is at the foundation of their calling and therefore they can be a different people. Knowing and remembering that God cares for you is essential to caring for others in a crisis. For some of us, the reason that 2020 featured some really sinful words or some really panicked moments is that we forgot that God cares for us. We began to think, I gotta figure this out. I gotta know how to do this. This is really scary. I'm really tripping out over this reality and we've forgotten that God cares for us. And so Isaiah reminds this this people of God's kind care. Look at verse nine. Here's the other voice, the third one. He says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Notice this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The imagery here is of a shepherd who is full of power and yet who cares tenderly. It's a beautiful picture. Of a, of a savior who comes to gather, to protect, to defend, to feed, and to lead his flock. It's a beautiful picture of something that we don't often see in our present worldly culture of strength and kindness, of power and grace, of authority and mercy. If you're not yet a Christian, I'm sure you're familiar with the text in Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It may be that this last year, the Lord has used hard circumstances to awaken you to ask spiritual questions that you've never asked before. And I trust that you know that it's the kindness of the Lord that he's caused you to ask those questions. And it may be that before the year closes that finally, You're coming to terms with your need for a savior, for someone else to control your life, someone to wipe clean the slate of your account between you and God. And our hope and prayer, in fact, the mission of this church is for you to know the person and work of Jesus. He's the one that's transformed our souls, helped us to know that he cares for us in a way that is absolutely stunning. In fact, the way that God has cared for us in Christ becomes the foundation for understanding how to think about the rest of life. 
Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, there will be times in 2021 where you will need to remind yourself, Christian, that you can trust that God cares for you. And when your heart says, where, where, how is God caring for me? Romans 8, 32, he did not spare his own son. That's how he cared for you. So promise number one, you can expect that God will care for you. Number two, the second expectation is that God will always be in control. Verses 12 through 26 identify that not only does God make particular promises, but he's actually powerful enough to fulfill those very assurances. Verses 12 through 26 recount the stunning power of God. Notice this, who, it's a series of questions, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, who's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? So these are gonna be comforting who questions. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Isaiah asks, whoever gave God advice? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him anything? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The text says, behold, Behold the nations. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. The idea is that from God's perspective, the nations are like a little drop that spills out of a bucket that you're carrying. Or think of it, you're carrying a cup of coffee and a little drip comes over the edge. And Isaiah says, that's what the nations are like to God. Why does he say that? Because nations These are the most powerful entities known to mankind. And it's tempting to think that nations are supremely powerful or those who rule nations are supremely powerful. And Isaiah would have you know that nation, those nations are like a drop coming out of a bucket that God owns. Or he says this, they're accounted as the dust on the scales. The thing that God wipes off as he measures out justice. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust in verse 15. Verse 16, Lebanon would not not suffice for fuel. So Lebanon was known for massive cedar trees, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. The nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Talks about idols in verses 18 and 19. And then in verse 21, he presses it even further. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? See, sometimes our anxieties, our fears, our, our, our expectations that get off need a biblical reminder of, don't you know what's true? Don't you know what's right? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants, verse 22, are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Notice verse 23, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. 
Can I just remind you that our trust or our fear needs to rest in God's ability to be in control. Our trust and fear cannot rest in anything that human beings have created or cannot rest in human beings themselves. Verse 23 and 24 talks about the fact that God brings princes to nothing and he makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. So this is telling us that nations and leaders rise and fall based upon the power of a sovereign God. So when you think about election cycles in our own country, they, they reveal something about a nation. Elections aren't the problem, the people are. Elections show us who we are. It also shows us who the church is. And can I just remind you that God rules over everything and that's important so that you can live in a realm where you avoid two ditches. And there's Christians that are kind of falling into these ditches. On the one ditch would be like, elections don't matter at all. Well, yes, they do. On the other end, it's nothing matters but an election. No, God reigns and is sovereign over all. We can avoid the ditch on the one hand of a secular worldview system like critical theory, but we can also avoid the other ditch of Christian nationalism by being reminded that nations and rulers matter, but they don't matter like God matters. It means you can be patriotic and love your country while also not loving it more than you love the kingdom of God. Because our king is in heaven, our savior is Christ. And so an uncertain future looks different when you know who the creator of the universe is. In fact, this is what he says. Look at verse 25. To whom will then you liken me or compare me, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. When I read that text, I thought, oh, my word. This, this has been what has been helpful to me in 2020 is a walk in the woods or a look at the stars helped to remind me who really is in control. It says, he brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Some of us in 2020 may need to turn the news off a little more and go outside a little more. Some of us may need to be sure that we're listening to the right sources, the right people. Be sure that we're allowing the right order of information to be brought to bear on our souls. This may be the third time that I've shown you this illustration, but it's really important. There's a new book that's coming out next year called The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken, and he argues that our knowledge diet needs to be seen in this kind of category, that the Bible and the church and beauty and books and then the internet and then social media need to inform how we see life and how we ingest the diet of information. The tragedy is that over the last six months, all of us have done this, our diet has sometimes been inverted. The fact of the matter is, is we need to be reminded who's in charge and who's in control and you may need to think about in 2021, how could I help my heart to be more often reminded who's really in control? 
I was thinking about it this morning that, you know, when I was in high school and I started watching the news, I was pretty content. And then even through college with a 30-minute news cycle every day, back in the days, not with Walter Cronkite, I'm not that old, but in the days when it was uh, Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw and a couple other people, um, 30 minutes was enough of the news and none of it was always breaking, 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 right? I thought to myself, I was really content with 30 minutes of news a day. And maybe as we think about 2021, we need to think about how often our hearts are just engaged with all that's going on and we're forgetting about what's really going on in the creator of the universe. God is in control. Here's the third thing we can expect, and that is that God will empower our endurance. I love how this text ends. It ends with such incredible, powerful hope. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? You know what he's saying? It's when we've crossed our arms and said, God isn't being fair. He says, why do you say this? that God doesn't see you or that somehow this is not gone in accordance to what you think is right or appropriate. Verse 28, have you not heard or have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And notice this, God does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But notice even more, what does he do? He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. See, the beautiful thing is that God is able to empower those who find themselves at the end of their rope. And in God's kind providence, he's put you and me in this moment in church and global history when things are out of our ability to control and confronting us with our inability to really manage our own lives. And you could see that and get incredibly stressed out about that and frustrated with that. Or you could turn your gaze upon the God who has all power and strength and authority and say, God, thank you that this has caused me to realize that I can't do this on my own. You could spend a lot of 2021 lamenting the fact that you don't know what to do, or you could rejoice and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have the energy to do this anymore. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. And to approach it not with a carelessness, but instead with a perspective, but I know a God who knows how to help me know what to do. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and grow weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. So the idea is not, oh, if I was just a little bit younger, then I would be able to make this happen. No. Verse 31 is the key. But they who are busy for the Lord shall renew their strength. Is that what it says? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, 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 sorry. No. But they who plan for the Lord shall renew their strength. Mm. Oh, no, no, no. But they who seek counsel for the Lord shall renew. No. But they who, church, what's the word? Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Does anybody like waiting like this? If you do, don't raise your hand because you'll make us all feel guilty. <laughs> but think of that. Those who wait for the Lord. What does it mean to wait? It means that you're in a position 
where you are banking your life on truths that you're implementing by faith that time yet hasn't connected all the dots. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's the key. The key with facing difficult expectations is waiting on God. Waiting isn't taking a passive or fatalistic approach, but rather it's banking our lives on what we know to be true about God. About 25 years ago, a friend gave me a book by Andrew Murray called Waiting on God. Here's one section from that book. The giver is more than the gift. God is more than the blessing. And our being kept waiting on him is the only way for our learning to find our life and joy in himself. Oh, if God's children only knew what a glorious God they have and what a privilege it is to be linked in fellowship with him, then they would rejoice in him. Even when he keeps them waiting, they will learn to understand better than ever. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. His waiting will be the highest proof of his graciousness. So waiting on the Lord provides the spiritual endurance that we need. So in the middle of a season when the expectations of the future are unclear, what is it that you need? One, to be reminded that God cares for you. Two, to be reminded that God will always be in control. Or three, that God will empower your endurance. So while life is often uncertain, these truths are not uncertain. When we don't know what to do, we can rest. That God, you care. God, you're in control. And God, you will help me to endure. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that by your grace and through your mercy that you would help us to follow you faithfully during these days that your heart would be with us through difficulties and through challenges. God, that your spirit would direct us, lead us, and help us to know how to apply this very word to circumstances where it looks like you don't care or it looks like you're not in control or it looks like somehow, God, you're not gonna help us to endure. So today we embrace the truth of this word and we call it to mind and we apply it to our hearts because we need it in the face of uncertainties and many difficulties. So God, thank you for your help, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.